Hello, this is Yolanda Murphy, and welcome to this Exceptional Journey podcast, where you will find inspiration to live courageously through adversity, empowerment to live freely despite your past, and ignition to live boldly in your purpose, all by walking the survivor's side of life. Good people. What's up? It is your girl yet again with another episode of this Exceptional Journey podcast, uh, where we take a look at life after a young adult cancer diagnosis and talk about all things this week, of course, Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week. Let's not forget the week. Um, So as you know, if you've been listening to episodes previous to this, all week we've been highlighting some amazing stories on the blog at thisexceptionaljourney.com on the podcast, all dealing with young adult cancer survivors, thrivers, and even some that are still going through active treatment. Um, it's our week. It's our week to shine. We want people to know that we are here, um, that we face and have a whole different gamut of things that happen when you're under 40 with cancer. So uh, if you've been rocking with us all week, Thank you so much. Um, If this is your first time, you're definitely in for a treat. We have Miss Pam with us today. Um, But before I intro Pam, let me uh, first things first, get to the social. I always forget to do the socials because I want you guys to follow me, right? Um, So on Facebook and on Instagram, you can find me at This Exceptional Journey. And then on Twitter, find me at TEJ Podcast um, and even use the hashtag Um, So we can stay connected, keep these conversations going. Um, Like I said, we're highlighting some really important stories uh, this week and even on the podcast previous. um, So definitely stay connected. Miss Pam, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you, Yolanda? I am good. I'm good. I'm good. Again, thank you uh, for being on the podcast. Uh, It is... Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I... uh, put out the clarion call, as I call it, um, to our group at Young Adult Survivors United. Um, you know, you were one of the first people that answered. I was like, hey girl, remember we were at the photo shoot? Oh, we looked so <laughs> cute. Because remember I commented on your boucle yeah, jacket. Pictures. We got some really good pictures. Um, so I was really <laughs> excited, um, first of all, because we hadn't seen each other in, like, I don't think we had ever met in person due to COVID, of like course, ever. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was our first time seeing each other. And of course, I was excited just to be amongst people. I was just like touching things and jewelry, (laughs) just touching everybody's everything. Um, But again, it's so good to see your face today. Um, We're talking Pam today. Okay. You guys already know I can talk, right? Um, But we are talking Pam. She had chronic leukemia, has chronic leukemia. Um, MPN, Pam said I can call it. Um, I cannot pronounce it. She will do that. (laughs) She was going to pronounce it when she reads her piece. um, She went with the writing prompt of if I knew then what I'd tell my pre-cancer self. Um, So what we're going to do basically, as we've done previous, um, Pam is going to read her piece um, and then we'll kind of discuss it and, and we'll go from there. Cool. Awesome. Take it away, Pam. All right, so like Yolanda said, I went with the prompt of if I knew then what I would tell my pre-cancer self. 
I'd always heard the saying, if only I knew then what I knew now. Like most people, I've had this thought plenty of times over my 30-something-year-old life. For example, if, gosh, if only I could go back and tell myself how silly I looked that whole year of middle school when I refused to wear anything except shades of blue. <laughs> it was my signature color after all. <laughs> Still, it's strange to finally have the opportunity to pen a letter to yourself detailing the things that you wish you would have known, particularly through the lens of a cancer diagnosis. First and foremost, some background for those of you who don't know me. Hi, my name is Pam. I'm a young adult living with chronic leukemia. It's called myeloproliferative neoplasm or MPM. MPMs are considered a rare cancer. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society estimates that only 20,000 people are diagnosed with MPM per year. Rarer yet, this disease is typically considered a geriatric disease, often diagnosed much later in life. So how did a 30-something year old end up with it? Well, isn't that the question? I guess I'm just the proverbial rare diamond in the rough. I was diagnosed in 2020, although it's likely that I've been living with it for seven plus years undiagnosed. In fact, I have blood work dating back to 2013 showing consistently high numbers. Crazy, right? You might wonder how that's even possible. Didn't you have symptoms? Couldn't your doctor see that there was anything wrong? Sure. However, at the time, I didn't realize how important it was to advocate for myself. Flashback to 2013. I was two years out of college. I worried about the same things most 20-somethings fresh out of college are concerned about. What am I gonna do with the rest of my life? Will I ever get a full-time job instead of trying to live off of three part-time jobs? How am I gonna pay off my student loans so I can get an apartment and finally move out of my childhood home? And my biggest running concern, which bar are we going to on Saturday? Cancer concerns could not have been further from my mind at 23. However, little did I know that a switch had flipped somewhere in my body around the same time. My bone marrow was losing its ability to moderate the number of cells it was producing. This overproduction of blood cells is exactly what would be picked up on routine blood work over the next couple of years. Four years later in 2017, cancer came crashing into my life for the first time when my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I was 27, just married, a newlywed of four months, still riding my post-honeymoon high. Once again, the concern, of the concern of cancer could not have been further from my mind until it wasn't anymore. As most of you who have encountered cancer diagnoses know, whether through yourself or loved ones, cancer doesn't care if you're ready for it or whether its timing is convenient. It makes itself known anyway. My dad seemed to be the model cancer patient. He did well on treatment without suffering many side effects and did mostly everything his oncologist told him. They were optimistic that we had caught it early. After a six month course of chemo, they thought we had gotten it all. Our highest hopes were that he would be part of the 10% of pancreatic cancer patients who reach a five year survival rate. However, his first three month scan revealed the complete opposite. He had had a recurrence this time in his liver. Preparing myself for the battle that was to come, I made the heart wrenching decision to move home to New York to be with my family. For the first time, cancer started to occupy prime real estate in my mind. As my dad bravely battled, my symptoms were also getting worse. I started to notice the fatigue getting more debilitating, the headaches coming more frequently, the itchy, scarred, and bruised up legs getting more persistent. At the time, I chalked it up to stress, not realizing that they were all tied together somehow. Around the same time, a PA from my doctor's office started questioning my consistently high platelet levels. She even had the foresight to begin tracking them semi-regularly. 
However, her more cautious approach to investigating my blood abnormalities were discounted by the PCP who assured me that my platelets weren't high enough to indicate a real issue. Eventually, I was declared just one of those outliers who run abnormally high. After losing my dad to cancer in 2018, I realized the full extent of what cancer could do, and it became an ever-growing concern in my life. Who would I lose next? What if I had cancer? What if my dog had cancer? I became hypersensitive about listening to my body. I brought up every minor symptom to my doctor. Yet I was told repeatedly by doctors and nurses, friends and family alike that I was fine. Young people just don't get cancer, or do they? Fast forward to December, 2019. My husband and I had just closed on our first house. Part of me was hoping and halfway expecting for Karma to lock us in on easy mode for the foreseeable future to make up for the past two years. We had already made our lemonade out of lemons. It was time to hand up some fresh flowers, goddammit. However, I couldn't shake that nagging feeling that something was seriously wrong inside of my body. My generic symptoms continued to become more pronounced. My platelet levels continued to rise and a new symptom, a dull persistent pain in my abdomen started to freak me the heck out. I finally realized that I could not keep hoping for the best. I needed to take control of my health. Eventually, an honest afternoon discussion with a girlfriend at my newly acquired kitchen table kicked my butt into high gear. Soon after, I established with all sorts of specialists in my new town after thoroughly researching and self-referring. It took all about five minutes with the hematologist for her to suggest myeloproliferative neoplasm. That same visit, she ordered specialized blood work to identify one of three driver mutations often present in the disease. After that came back positive, I was immediately scheduled for a bone marrow biopsy to confirm. Once I met all the diagnosis criteria, it was official. I had a myeloproliferative neoplasm. I had cancer at age 30. This was my worst fear come true. This was the thing that I didn't think I could handle after losing my dad to cancer just a year prior. This is the point in my story where I'd like to address my past self and let her in on a few things. Number one, you're not crazy. All those feelings and symptoms that you thought were just your normal was actually your body trying to clue you into something foundationally wrong. No matter how many people brushed you off assuming that you were a paranoid hypochondriac, you were right. Always trust yourself. Understand the importance of advocating for yourself. No one else will do it for you. Never stop questioning what is best for you. Doctors are great, but they're human and no one is perfect. Continually encourage others to do the same by sharing your story. Number three, cancer is scary, but it's not a death sentence. Cancer is a monster that wears many different masks. Your dad was diagnosed with one of the deadliest and most aggressive forms of cancer. Is that fair? Absolutely not. But not everyone diagnosed with cancer follows the same path. Each person's cancer journey is unique. It's a battle filled with custom highs and lows. Your cancer is progressive, but chronic and extremely manageable. NPNs are relatively low maintenance when stable. Realize how lucky you are. There is a good chance that you die with your cancer rather than from it. Number four, as isolated and lonely as you feel over the next few months, you'll find your people. They will change your life positively. There's no question that this diagnosis will test many relationships. Some people will step up while others step away and that's okay. You'll create a bubble of support and meet some amazing souls who wear similar shoes. Local support groups, 
both disease and age specific, will arm you with a wealth of knowledge. Life will finally start to make sense and you will realize the importance of giving back. Number five, buy stock in GameStop. Don't ask why, just do it. <laughs> Number six, lastly, you are more resilient than you've ever given yourself credit for being. You've made it over 100% of the obstacles presented in your life thus far, no matter how impossible they looked from where you were standing. You'll get over 99% of the rest of them, but the day you stop believing in your ability to be resilient is the day that you stop winning. Slow clap, girl. Slow clap. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I mean, wow, wow. So thank you. Thank you for reading. Thank you for writing. We have Absolutely. so many. Thank you for opportunity. Absolutely. Um, so let's dive in. I have I have some some things I want to hit on because uh, cool. previous episodes um, that I've done for this week, there's kind of been a running theme. Um, <laughs> Has there? Yeah. Yeah. There's been a running theme and it's all good, but it's great to hear um, people from different backgrounds with different perspectives, but kind of coming to the same resolves. Um, so let's talk about this really quick. Um, you know, sorry to hear that your father passed away. Um, of course, um, my grandmother had pancreatic cancer as well. Um, so I know what that looks like. And it, like you said, it is one of the deadliest. So I'm so sorry to hear that. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when my, I, my grandmother passed away maybe 10 years ago um, and it was, it was tumultuous, you know what I mean? And you hope things work and, you know, things like that. But I definitely will say that me seeing her go through that helped at least a little me go through my journey. Um, sure. Although different, of course, although different, she was older, I'm younger, yeah. you know, but still like, who would think, like you said in your piece, 30 anything would be connotated with cancer. Um, but again, so sorry to hear about your father. And um, it sounds like you, you guys were really close and, you know, you did. <laughs> yeah. Sure yeah. Were. yeah. Yeah. He was a gem. Awesome. Like his daughter, like his daughter. Um, <laughs> of course. So let's, let me ask you this. So, you know, you're symptomatic sort of, you know, for yep. years. Uh, and mm -hmm. like you said, you had, um, I think you said a nurse practitioner, um, in your PCP's office that was like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but let's kind of keep track of it. Right. And, you know, yeah. she had the hindsight to keep track of those things. Let me ask this. So, you know, all of those years, um, things were brushed off because you were young, young people don't get cancer. Right. Like, that, that's not what that exactly. is, you know? Um, how did it feel when you actually finally got the diagnosis? Like, of course, I mean, you don't want cancer, but yeah. like anywhere in your mind where you like, damn it, I told you guys this years ago. Like, did you, like, <laughs> how did you respond? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, obviously, as you said, nobody wants cancer, particularly a 30 year old who's just signed on a house, and, you know, it's really yeah. just starting to get my life together um, and move on, you know, to the next chapter of adulthood. And uh, yeah, I get slammed with this MPN diagnosis. But um, being that I was symptomatic for years, you know, seven plus years at this point, um, and honestly, I think maybe even a little before then, mm. uh, without having it tracked on blood work, mm. uh, there was a little bit of, of relief, you know, a sense of relief. Finally, mm. I know 
you know, what's going on within my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was absolutely a bit of a sigh of relief, you know, um, don't get me wrong. There was still the shock with, with being diagnosed with a cancer diagnosis and saying, okay, what is this realistically going to mean for my life? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it was definitely a bit of a relief to, to finally know why. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, in your piece, you talk about um, you're not crazy, you know, um, all of those no. years that, you know, you felt certain things and you knew, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, your body, you know, you, you know, your body. And, you know, I, I would definitely say, I mean, if I were in your shoes, I would probably be like, finally, like, geez, Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? That just that brief, if, if I'll be it brief, um, sigh of relief, knowing that, (laughs) you know, like not that I'm relieved that I have cancer, but like, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was going on. You're relieved to finally have answers. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then know what to do next, right? Like to know, okay, now that we can put a name to it, what is on the other side of that? What do we do to battle it, to conquer it, to, you know, do what we need to do. So Absolutely. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. Um, no, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, I told everybody that when I got the diagnosis, no lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how did your, how did your family, like, were they aware that you were having symptoms all of those years? Uh, yeah, most, most of them were, you know, family, my mom, my dad, uh, you know, my husband, who is my fiance slash boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I, I got a rap as, as a paranoid hypochondriac, mm. and, uh, you know, they, they did it with the best intentions and, and it was all meant to, to try to calm down the anxiety over what I was going through. But at the end of the day, you know, look at, look at what we got. Exactly. Uh, so it was, there was, it was foundational. There was foundation for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. You're not crazy. I just, I just, I'm going to start sure. telling people that you're not crazy you know, your body, let's go get stuff checked out, you know? Absolutely. So that, that leads me to, um, the next point, um, of which you and I completely uh, concur on, which is self-advocating. Um, so let me ask this, like when you were in doctor's offices, like leading up to the diagnosis before you went to the hematologist, um, did you find that you had to speak a little louder with a little sterner voice, um, to get taken, serious like how did that transition go from no you're fine no you're fine every doctor's office to holy shit like oh my gosh like you have cancer like how did that transition (laughs) go yeah so uh we got to rewind a little bit for that transition um the the self-advocacy train actually realistically started way before my diagnosis i watched my father go through pancreatic cancer Mm -hmm. like i say in the piece he was he was pretty model you know he took exactly what the oncologists were gonna were gonna give him face value uh he applied it he hoped for the best and um there was a point i guess um probably a year into his cancer journey where he was on his second or third line of chemo. Um, and it really wasn't looking like there was going to be a whole, like a whole lot left for him to do. Um, and eventually we got the news from his oncologist that there was nothing left. Mm. That, um, you know, we should look for clinical trials maybe, or hospice. Mm. Um, I mean, and at this point he was still functioning, like he was still feeling relatively well. Um, and at that point I turned to my family and I said, Hey guys, 
I think it's time to seek out a, a secondary oncologist, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who might have some fresh eyes on the situation. Uh, and he was very adamant that he wasn't realistically into that, hmm. um, you know, which was, which was strange. I think at the end of the day, maybe he was just tired of fighting and was ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Um, but even after that, like I, I busted my butt. I looked for clinical trials. I dragged him all over the place in the last couple months of his life. Um, and honestly, too, we were set to start a clinical trial two weeks prior to his death, unfortunately, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. we thought that perhaps we would finally find a thing that would clear up the jaundice. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it was, we knew it was a long shot, but mm -hmm. there was a shot. And, right, um, right, right, right. After watching him go through his diagnosis um, and not particularly do much self-advocating for himself, there was a lot of advocating for him on my mother's end. There was a lot on my end, uh, you know, my brother, mm -hmm. but he was not the one who was actively saying, hey, okay, mm -hmm. we should make this next choice in our, in our journey. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where it started. Uh, and then I encountered my disease and I was being told that it was nothing to be concerned about. Um, and realistically, the thing that kicked my butt <laughs> to going to the hematologist uh, was a very frank conversation with a girlfriend of mine mm. who I've known for a couple of years. And she had just um, gotten a autoimmune uh, disease mm. diagnosis. And she was sitting there telling me about how her body knew that there was something wrong and she felt like she was going crazy. And I just heard this echoing of my own story. Mm. And she looked at me straight in the eyes, grabbed my hand and said, you need to see somebody mm. like, this is it. You need to figure this out. Like you're not crazy. And after that, I tracked down the hematologist, like I said, after a significant amount of research to make sure I was going in the right direction with the right people. Mm. Um, and that's how I ended up where I am today. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's that self-advocating. I think sometimes it's, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easier for, well, I'll say before my breast cancer diagnosis, it was easier for me to self-advocate for someone I love versus myself. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Because like I said, when my grandmother went through some stuff, my dad was in like a horrific car accident um, a couple of years before she passed away. So it was always you know, like you said, like, no, we're going to do this mm -hmm. and we're going to find the best th of this. And, you know, really wanting to step in and, and be there because my grandmother was older. She, um, I remember this one time she was in adult daycare and even to this day, I tear up about it, although she's been gone, God rest her soul, but her access van dropped her off and just left her there. It was like her first day oh, there. No. And she was just sitting in the front because she didn't know anyone. Honey, when I right. tell you I went down there, do you hear me? I said, oh no, this will never work. I said, who was it? I mean, I walked, okay? So yeah. it was easy for me to step in, you know what I mean? To, to fill that need or advocacy void, you know what I mean? Um, and now to yeah. hear you talk about on this side, you know, when you found your own diagnosis, um, you know, having that frank conversation with a girlfriend at just having regular conversation and hearing, you know, what she was saying, like, no, baby, you mm -hmm. really have to do this for you. You really have to do this yeah. for you. Um, resonates really well, I think, with a lot of people um, that I've interviewed and, and talked with on the podcast, because that whole thing, you're too young. Um, 
and contingent right. upon unfortunately your ethnicity like no you're just like you said a hypochondriac or you're over overselling it you know what I mean and right to hear that you know you decided for yourself once you did your research you know had that conversation of course with your friend but did your research and said okay this right. is the, the avenue I'm going to go down so awesome awesome and self-advocating doesn't have to be because sometimes people think it's being loud and guff. No, it can be as simple as getting a second opinion. Um, Absolutely. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be difficult, but it's really you just speaking from your own perspective. You, you know, your body better than anyone. Um, and if you got to speak up for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And whether that's with your PCP, even with family members, um, you, you know, you know, so Oh yeah, that, that was a good nugget. That was a good one. So thank you for that, Pam. And then, so let me ask you this: when you, when you were going through, um, because you said this is this is rare. It's usually geriatric. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I was speaking um, to another um, survivor uh, this week, and she said, "Yeah, my cancer basically is like old white guys." I said, "Oh, okay. Hi." Tom, nice to, <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, no offense to Tom, because yeah. we have a Tom in our group. So no offense, Tom. <laughs> but I mean, I know even that had to have been um, quite, a, quite a journey. You know what I mean? Even while you were going through active treatment, um, did they find that it was, or did you find um, that how they were, how you were getting treatment or the course of standard care they were given giving you was adequate for a young adult woman, you know, based upon the type of cancer it was? Yeah. I mean, so, so rolling back into the treatment, I'm going to be in treatment for the rest of my life. Basically. Oh, okay. Um, okay. You know, my treatment currently, <laughs> currently right now is uh, I have to, so this disease causes as, as a side effect of sorts, um, a high risk of thrombotic events. Uh, so I'm at risk or higher risk for blood clots, stroke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Metabolism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to take a baby aspirin <laughs> I take every a baby aspirin for the rest of my life. That's Hey girl. <laughs> I do. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's going to be a lifelong regimen, uh, which is perfectly, you know, fine as far as all things go. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, we have to watch blood levels. So if blood levels start getting high, um, I roll through and get a phlebotomy, which is basically bloodletting, um, except the blood can't be, you know, it's like a blood donation, but you can't donate the blood because right. the blood is mutated and therefore defunct. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting thing watching a bag of blood come out of your arm and then be tossed directly into mm. the medical hazmat. Wow. Um, you know, and I, I had my own feelings about that when that first started. Um, yeah. And then as I progressed down the line, there's all sorts of, of other treatments that might come along. Um, intravenous, uh, something called Pegasus. Um, mm. There's JAK2 inhibitors. There is chemotherapy, hydroxyurea, uh, which is an oral chemotherapy. So as we, we move forward in this and however this decides to progress, you know, mm-hmm. these are all options. But right now, okay. since I'm early on in diagnosis, not progressed super crazily. Um, so I am still sitting at that low risk of aspirin and phlebotomy at this point. Okay. Um, but as far as, you know, de- dealing with doctors and, and even the first hematologist who, like I said, took about five minutes to, to put two and two together and really figure it out. 
um, she was very hands-off on how she wanted to treat it. You know, she was mm. kind of like, yeah, let's watch and wait and here's an aspirin and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, self-advocating, I decided to track down a MPM specialist, which mm. we are lucky enough to have one of those over at UPMC Hillman. Oh, awesome. Um, so I booked a second opinion with him, um, and he is wonderful. And now he is my, uh, main treating doctor for MPM, but he is a specialist. Wonderful. Um, and he's, he's the one who gets the last call and, and whatever mm. we decide we're going to do. Awesome. Awesome. And that's good. I mean, here, I think, um, someone else in our group was saying that here in the city, we have a specialist for her rare type of cancer. Yeah. Um, and I think that's astounding, you know what I mean? To be able to be in a city that we have that type of system, healthcare system, that type of ecosystem with UPMC, even with AHN, um, there's right. some really great doctors over there as well. And that's amazing that we have that specialist um, and that he's able to be that center of care because right. he knows exactly what's going on. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I, awesome. I feel really blessed. You know, I, I come from New York, which... <laughs> Which it was like crazy moving to Pittsburgh, you know, because I went from a a super big city to a medium, moderate sized city, Mm -hmm. Um, not really knowing what to expect as far as the healthcare here. But I mean, we have such a wonderful network, as you were saying, between AHN and Mm -hmm. UPMC. Um, And for all of us cancer patients and cancer survivors, I mean, Hillman is such an asset. Oh my gosh. Really thankful that we ended up here with good healthcare. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I did my treatment as well. I did some of my treatment at Hillman, some out of McGee, not at the actual clinic, but out where I live, I live out East. So Um, awesome. Awesome. That's good. So that's, that's good to hear. And it sounds like based upon, you know, where you are now, like they're, they're, there's game plans, you know, yeah. as you go yeah. down the line, multi, multi avenues for sure. Uh, which I'm, you know, completely thankful for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good, 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 good. Uh, so let's talk on this point really quick. Um, in your piece, you talk about, um, cancer is scary, but it's not a death sentence. Talk sure. to me a little bit about that. So again, there's been some, some resolves that have been echoed throughout some of the interviews that I've done. And one of them one of the um, young adults that I spoke to said um, that cancer is not your identity. Um, it is not who you are. Um, it's something that you've gone through. It's a piece of you, uh, but it doesn't have to be that death sentence. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, you know, like, like we've kind of been touching on, my father died of pancreatic cancer in 2018. Um, he held on for a uh, pretty generous time, all things considered with pancreatic cancer. That's usually a mm-hmm. quick, aggressive quick. disease yep. mm-hmm. because we did catch it early. He was able to last about 22 months, um, in and out of treatments. He had a surgery, um, you know, but I remember thinking by the time he had, uh, gone through two out of three chemo regimens that were, you know, we were really on his last option that this probably wasn't going to end well for us, which was unfortunate. Uh, I think in cancer, a lot of times, as soon as you hear the word cancer, you assume that somebody's terminal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, cause is, that's what they show in the news. Sure. And, yeah. That's on Grey's you know, Anatomy. Right. I mean, I get it. Hello. Um, but it, at the end of the day, uh, it's not, there's so many people who beat, cancer survivors such as yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's amazing 
the stuff that doesn't get shown about cancer. Right. So when I was handed this cancer diagnosis, but then told, Hey, but it's okay. You're, you're going to, you're probably, probably (laughs) going to die with your cancer rather Mm. than from your cancer. And Mm -hmm. I remember being so mind blown on that fact. Yeah. Um, Especially after just watching cancer, just tear Mm -hmm. my father apart Mm -hmm. and kill him. Um, so it was, it was really something that I had to wrap my head around was, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. You have cancer. That's fine. You know, but like, you're, you're going to win this one. (laughs) Um, so yeah, cancer is, is definitely not a death sentence. Absolutely. Something that I think is important for people who are getting newly diagnosed to, to know, I mean, just because you hear the word cancer doesn't mean that you're dying tomorrow or, you know, way, way, way down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you say cancer um, is a battlefield with custom highs and lows. That really sums it up. Everyone's journey with cancer is completely different. And I say all the time, um, unfortunately, my mom's best friend was diagnosed with cancer a couple of weeks ago. uh, So I've kind of been like walking her through some things and just being a support, you know, just being a support. And um, she's, you know, been asking me questions and you know, honestly, sometimes I have to say, to be honest, I don't know, um, because she's a little older, uh, because her, her type of breast cancer was different than mine. You know, all I really could say is, is even if we had the same diagnosis, same type, same stage, same grade, our journeys would look completely different. Um, and I think that those custom highs and lows, um, sums it up perfectly because it really is just that. And like you, you know, you hit the nail on the head saying, if there's someone that is like recently diagnosed young or older, you know, um, that's listening, death, death, cancer does not equal death automatically. Um, yes, unfortunately cancer does and has taken some of our loved ones. Um, and it's a, it's a ugly beast. Like it definitely is an ugly beast, but at the end of the day, it does not mean what you see on the television, you know, the emaciated. And I always say this because growing up, all I saw, if it was a child with cancer, they were bald, they were thin, yeah. they were on their deathbed, and then they were done. You know what I mean? Like, that's all we right. saw. But I, I'm grateful for whoever said to you, now, listen, you're going to die with your cancer, not from it. That is such a great perspective mm-hmm. to have. Uh, because, yeah. unfortunately, again, yes, cancer, you saw firsthand, most people have seen firsthand from a loved one passing, unfortunately, that it can, you know, be that outcome, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, and what you do with that time in between is really what's important. Um, right. You, you can live with cancer and still have like, I hate to use the word normal because really what's normal, but you, you know what I mean? Like you can still have a normal right. life. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it doesn't, you, you can still live your life. Absolutely. Abs- I mean, you're, you're prime example. You over here buying houses, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're moving, shaking, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that was another thing that I, you know, once, once I did get handed this diagnosis, I really had to process was, you know, okay, so what's next? I mean, how, how bad is this going to get and how quickly and what realistically can I do? I mean, can I have kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I work full time? Can I go back to school? You know, these are all things that were on my, on my timeline prior mm-hmm. to a cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I had to take some time and, and really figure out whether that was possible. And I am happy to say that two out of those three things I'm currently doing. So I awesome. am back in school for my master's. Awesome. And I am working full time. So. That is so <laughs> is great. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I was. Cancer I, does not by any means keep you from achieving your dreams. And it definitely does not. A lot of people don't necessarily realize when they get a, a cancer diagnosis handed to them. And it also doesn't. So this is what I've also learned um, is that it just might look different. It might look different how it needs to be done now. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean it can't be done. Sure. Um, just be cognizant that it might have to be done a different way or go, you might have to go down a different path to get it, to get there, but it right. can still be done. You know what I mean? So awesome. Right. I love or that. You, you might have to alter your expectations. You know, mm. I mean, you've got to be kind to yourself especially when you're going through a cancer diagnosis. Absolutely. Is it going to take me a couple extra semesters because Excuse I need to take me. a day mm -hmm. here and there to, to make sure I'm not running myself ragged? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know what? That's, that's a worthwhile compromise. Absolutely. And let's take into consideration you're still here to get it done. So, I mean, I know with yep. school, yeah. it's, it's money, but you taking that extra semester or two, just think of the end result. You know what I mean? You, you, you would have accomplished- right what you set out to do, you know, I'm prayerfully going to start my master's in the fall, get my MBA, which I wanted to do forever ago. Um, but I was having Amazing. the same thoughts. Thank you, girl. Um, but I was You're having welcome. the same thoughts. Um, in the very beginning, it was because of chemo fog, chemo brain. And I was like, am I going to be able to like yeah. handle the, the weight of a master's program? But then after a while, I was like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been yeah. a process, but it's not what I thought it would be, but I'm getting it done. So thank you. Thank you for, yeah, you should. Yeah. I think I am girl. Thank you. Um, do it. A, you do it. Yeah. I mean, the brain, brain fog is hard. I, I haven't yeah. had chemo and, you know, hopefully I won't need it for a significant while, but mm -hmm. I mean, part of one of my symptoms is I get super brain foggy and I have days, you know, especially when my levels are running high, that it's hard. I mean, yes. it's really hard to like focus in and zero in on that, but you know, it's, it's persistence, you know, mm. if you're determined to get it done, you get it you done, get it done. You go to sleep, you wake up, you do it all over again. Absolutely. I was just going to say, you Absolutely. just get it done. <laughs> awesome. I yeah. love that custom highs and lows. I love that, but it can still be done. It's not a death sentence. That was great. That was great. So I just have just like one or two more Thank questions, you. if you don't mind. Sure. Um, so Absolutely. In, yes. in your piece, um, you talk about um, isolation, being lonely. Yes. Um, because mm -hmm. as we know, being, being diagnosed as, as young adults, I always talk about having Dorothy Blanche and Rose in the waiting room with me, right? Um, yeah. you know, with breast cancer, yeah. they usually give you like the little pink robes and you put, you know, you put your breast on the thing and you hold your arm up and don't mm -hmm. breathe and don't, you know, all the things. And then you come back out and right. then there's Dorothy, Ruby, Blanche, Rose, everyone's grandmother is in the waiting room. <laughs> and yeah. usually they're looking at me like, what's going on? But, um, you know, what, to speak of the piece, uh, the, the point that you gave is, you know, it can be isolating. It can be very lonely. Um, I know in my journey, I lost some close friends um, and mm -hmm. actually 
found like a whole new tribe, not a whole big tribe of people, but really found my tribe, like found who, despite what I was going through was like, you know what, you're kind of lovable. I'm like, yes, I am. Come on through. (laughs) 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 But now let's, let's get this straight, Yolanda. You are lovable with or without what you've gone through. Oh, thanks, Pam. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, it's so true, though. It's so true that when you go through, I mean, um, someone that's in our group says all the time, and I use it all the time, that cancer is a clarifier. It really, really is. Um, And it allows you to see who is there and who's not. Um, And then also, it, it helps you to get clarity. So all of that to say, it can be lonely. It can be isolating. It can show you who you are. It can show you who other people are. When you were going and as you go through your journey, I mean, initially until now, you know, over the over the year, uh, what have you done or what what have you um, uh, seen that has helped you go through those times? I mean, of course, COVID. I mean, that that, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, now everyone else knows how we feel. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you how do you deal with those ebbs and flows and um like mentally like you know i was speaking to someone else about mental health and how important that is for young adult cancer survivors and patients as well but how did you how do you reach those and go through those sure yeah i mean uh right after diagnoses was was probably the loneliest most isolated time that i've mm. ever honestly gone through in my whole entire life Mm-hmm. Um, and then it felt like right as I was getting that together and kind of coming out of it and coming to terms with, with receiving this cancer diagnosis this early on in life, mm-hmm. um, COVID hit. So mm-hmm. at that point, as a current cancer patient, um, I was considered high risk. So mm-hmm. I really locked down, you know, my husband and myself. Uh, nobody in, nobody out for at least months. And we started to ease up as family. But even after that, I mean, we were those crazy people wiping down groceries with Clorox wipes. You know, I was doing the same thing. I was doing (laughs) the same thing. Right. About what we were bringing in, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there was guidance, but not super great guidance at the time. So we were all just kind of doing what we could, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, taking our our best educated guesses. Mm -hmm. Um, so that threw me into just, just a year of, of complete isolation, basically, and loneliness. Um, so the way I dealt with that uh, is, is how I met you. Uh, I started seeking out um, organizations who would be mm. able to talk through some of this. Um, I, I picked up, well, I didn't pick up. I have seen therapists on the side, uh, my own personal therapist, mm-hmm. um, to kind of to talk through things. Um, and I established initially with a... Uh, support group that is NPN related or mm. NPN specific mm-hmm. um, called NPN warriors led up here in the north by a, a lovely woman named Jean Deesh met a handful of other people who were going through the same disease at different staging points um, and the thing that I was really missing there although there is one other young young female um, who's become a really great friend of mine Leah who is also diagnosed with the same disease um, and I was missing young people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I have all these, all this NPN specific knowledge, mm-hmm. but I don't have young people cancer knowledge. Right, um, right. You know, the thing, the thing specifically that we go through, 
Um, how do you get over the fact that, that maybe you're going to have kids, maybe you're not going to, depending on what your treatment course looks like. That's mm-hmm. not something that, that people with an older person's disease is going to talk about. Right. Um, that's not something that they have to face realistically at this, at the point that most of them were diagnosed. Um, they have grandkids, you know, have the, they have their grandkids, which is great and fabulous. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But that was a real, a real concern in my husband and mine's mm-hmm. minds when I first got diagnosed. Okay. So if I have to start chemo, is this going to be like, I can't ever have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, luckily we're not at that point yet. Um, so we have some time, but good, good. it was a big concern. So yeah. I, after realizing that I was missing this part of the journey, I reached out to uh, Steph, who is the founder of Yasu. Stephanie! Um, and she welcomed, <laughs> welcomed me in with open arms. Um, and she is by far one of the loveliest people I think she I've is. ever met in my whole life. She, I could tell her um, all the time she's an angel been, on earth. Absolutely. And you guys have been such a wealth of knowledge uh, when it comes to age, age specific, just cancer, cancer hurdles. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, listen, I completely attest to the fact that yes, you is a game changer. Like it changed my perspective on my journey. Um, because if I'm honest, um, I'm black. Hi, Delanda and I'm black, but <laughs> <laughs> like, People in the I'm blonde. <laughs> people in the African American community don't talk about cancer. Period. Young or old, um, yeah. so it was very difficult. Breast cancer, unfortunately, is like the common one. You know what I mean? You can find pink ribbons everywhere. It was not difficult for me to find right. breast cancer information. Now, young adult breast cancer information, yes. Black young breast cancer information, where is that at? No one. They don't even think we can get it. You know what I mean? So I completely agree that it's great to have very specific groups. You know what I mean? Because that is also a great resource and um, a good tribe to have, but you still need that other piece because it's just different. It's just, it's just different being diagnosed before 40, hell, even before 35. um, It's just different. So I was grateful. Every single time we log on, of course, now because COVID and everything's virtual, um, right. <laughs> every time we log on, I'm like, oh, who's the new people? Who's this? Oh, so <laughs> I get excited because that means yeah. like people are getting the support that they need. It's a community. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Stephanie has done and, you know, I'll always sing her praises. Um, Stephanie has done an exceptional job of really creating this community, this family over the last like seven, eight years. Um, of just being able to be there for one another um, and realizing, like you said, um, there are some other supplemental things. You know, I might need, you know, my, my very specific cancer group where I might need a therapist on the side, but there's always this place I can go. You know, I can log in Absolutely. on Tuesdays or log in on Fridays yeah. um, and be just be with my people. You know what I mean? That's, that's how right. I see it. Just be with my people. Yeah. I think when I showed up to my first meeting there, meeting, like you said, virtual meeting, um, you know, I, I felt super welcomed in the first place, you know, but at the time I was, I was telling a lot of people in my life about my cancer diagnosis, but because we're in the middle of COVID, it was all virtual. So it's, it's super awkward. I mean, I would assume it's way more awkward in person, but it's definitely (laughs) pretty awkward calling up people, you know, your friends, your family. Oh yeah. How are you? Hey, um, 
By the way, yeah. So yeah, I got cancer. Um, you know, and then they don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, right. What else can you say? Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, uh, and I I was hit with a lot of these like really awkward reactions to talking about mm. the cancer diagnosis. Um, and when I logged on to my first meeting and we, and we did the whole round robin of introduce yourself mm-hmm. and, and what's going on, like you guys were one of one of a handful of people who like actually had something to say, you know, I had other leukemia survivors chime in and mm-hmm. immediately want to talk about where I was going or who I was seeing or, you know, uh, you know, how I was feeling. And mm-hmm. that was, that was amazing. You guys didn't just stare at me. <laughs> Which, right in a time that that's super lonely and isolating in the first place like that mm-hmm. that was a godsend at that wonderful point. and that's what it's all about that's really I mean I not to speak for Stephanie but uh that's really what yes you is about you know what I mean it, it is about that support because a lot of times family and friends although they love us they don't know what Absolutely. to say they sometimes say some of the most say. exactly they say some of the most awkward things and you're like <laughs> what like I remember one family member and out of love, it, it was not, you know, malicious. Oh, are you done with cancer? Am I done? <laughs> like, I just picked it up. Like I just picked it right. up and was like, come on cancer. And then I can put it away. Like, so again, yeah. like, I think people out of just concern, they don't know what to say. So, um, no, yeah, I, I get it. I yeah. Yeah. It. So I'm glad, I'm glad that yes, you could be that for you, especially during the difficult time of COVID. Because, yeah. um, uh, you know, I think everyone, like March, April for sure, but everyone was kind of scrambling um, organizations, yeah. hospitals, clinicians, everyone was like, what in the hell's going on? Um, and then they were right. like, well, how can we still, you know, give good care? Um, so we, people had to get creative. Zoom was like, I should have bought stock in Zoom. You talked about buying stock in GameStop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have bought stock in Zoom. Okay. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But everyone had to get creative and, and I'm grateful that, you know, we, we found our way, you know what I mean? And, and we right. are yeah. able to still offer support. Um, so, so that's, that's completely awesome. I love, love, love it. And then last Pam, I just want to say that I think you're total badass, of course. Um, thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, you know, in your last point of your, of your piece, you talk about resiliency. Um, and again, just a common theme that's been coming up, uh, because majority of the people that I'm talking to are like those badass, like, oh no, I got this. I'm good. (laughs) Like, no. Okay. What's the course of treatment? Okay. Let's go. You know, and that, that takes tenacity yeah. that takes resilience. How did you find your resilience? How did you, you know, I know probably with your dad passing away and, you know, facing cancer, mm-hmm. that was a part of it, but where do you, where do yeah. you every day wake up and, and say, okay, I got shit to do. I got my master. I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to work full time. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that's not a small feat. Yeah you know, to someone who's battling chronic leukemia, you know what I mean? So right. how does that, how do you find that for yourself? Um, I mean, like you said, the, the first time I, I realized I was resilient was um, when I was able to, to say goodbye to my father and mm. grieve it and not just crumble into pieces every day of my life. Um, which believe me, I have had multiple conversations in therapist's office uh, when he was cur- like going through treatment just utterly panicked over ever having to do that 
yeah knowing that the time the clock is ticking and the time's coming yeah and you know i evolve into tears and say i don't know how i'm going to do this i can't tell you how many times i told my husband like i i apologize for the person i'm going to be when i lose my dad because Mm. i'm not going to be a nice person yeah yeah um and so after he passed, you know, we, we were able to grieve and, and get through it as family and, uh, you know, really thankful for the, the strong supportive family that I do have. Um, but after we got through that, I came back to a therapist in Pittsburgh after I moved and she's, I hadn't seen her in two years and told her everything that had happened. Mm. And she's like, wow. She's like, you realize how resilient you are, right? Yeah. I was like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't really no. realize that. But yeah, you know, you're right. I am. Um, and she's like, just look at. And then when I walked in with the cancer diagnosis on top of that, she's like, just look at everything that you have gone through so far. She's like, if you weren't resilient, you wouldn't have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, you know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. So that's kind of. <laughs> that's kind of how I found my resiliency. Um, and I, I've just kind of tethered myself to that. I said, yeah. you know what, you're resilient. You have gotten through everything that you didn't think you were ever going to make it through, including the loss of your father. And you're going to just, you're just going to make it through everything else. I mean, sheer, sheer will or brute force, however you've got to do it, you <laughs> yeah. are just going to do it. Absolutely. And I think a lot so, of people um, just get to that place. You know, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, I have a amazing supportive family. I've got a wonderful husband. I've got a, a four-year-old dog who is literally life itself. Oh, um, she's amazing. Oh. <laughs> and, and they keep kicking my butt, you know, on days where I don't necessarily want to get up, want to go back to work, want to go back to school, want to get shit done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you got to keep moving. So here Absolutely. we are. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about, Pam. Listen, I love someone <laughs> who does not just take what they're handed for face value, but says, okay, yeah. okay, I'm going to take it because unfortunately cancer, you know, you can't just undo it. Right. Um, I'll take it. But guess what I'm also going to do? I'm going to get this shit done. I'm going to get this mm-hmm. done. Um, because like you said, it is not a death sentence. Yeah. Um, you've, you've proclaimed that it's just not, it's not who you are. It's, it's a part of you. Um, you know, and like yeah. you said, you're at, at a good place right it, now. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't get me wrong. I am not exempt from self-pity parties, you know, no, absolutely. <laughs> but then when I'm done with them, I pack them back up and I save them for the, for the next time. Absolutely. You know? And that's, uh, that's you, real you though, just, right? Just wallow in it. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. real. Like there's always going to be highs and lows, you know, it's, it's not every day, you know, like right. you said, you got people kicking your butt. Like now girl, get up now listen, you know, you got to do that <laughs> schoolwork. Okay. So no, and that's where that right. sort of team comes from your, your loved ones and your friends and support group. And I think, I think that's so critical right. as well to, to round it out, to say that you're going to have those days, you know, you're going to have those days where you just don't feel like it. And some days you don't, you don't have to, that's fine. Cause that's also a part of self-care and being right. gentle with yourself and giving yourself grace. But then there's going to be those other times where you're like, okay, now shit, now just get up. Okay. Even if you just brush your teeth, even if you just take a shower, yeah, th- do that. That's fine. No one's asking you to be a superhero today. We just want you to live. And right. that's where resiliency comes from when you just get back up time after time after time. And like you said, excuse me, in your piece, the day you stop being able to be resilient is when you stop winning. 
I love it. Like, (laughs) that's amazing. Okay. That is amazing. Thank you. Uh, Just so many, so many gems in your piece, Pam, because, uh, you know, the whole point of the young adult, of course, cancer support, I'm sorry, cancer awareness week is to be that light, is to be that hope, is to be that beacon. At least that's how I see it. Um, We're not just talking about our stories, but we know other people are coming behind us, quote unquote. Uh, We know people are getting diagnosed today. People got diagnosed today. People will get diagnosed tomorrow. Um, And if we can give them, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if we can give them like a, just a sliver of hope or a sliver of resource or a sliver of information or advice, that's what we're here for. To me, that's what the week is about. Not only showing some badass people, but then telling people like, okay, I know you're going through this right now, but look at me, right? Like, right. If I did it, you could do it, you know? Oh, right. Such great conversation, Pam. I just hate sometimes ending podcasts because <laughs> I'm like, we're just having regular conversation. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Pam. Pam, that was great. That was great. Again, thank you for, for that piece. Um, like I said, your story is definitely going to change some lives for sure. Um, if nothing else, thank if you. someone else I hope with, so. absolutely, absolutely. If nothing else, if someone with MPN, you know, didn't even know of the resources, you know, that you have, you know, that if nothing else, they'll be like, right. Oh, wait a minute. So definitely, yeah. definitely. Especially when you're dealing with rare diseases, resources mm-hmm. are so hard to come by. I Cause mean, it's it, like it was crazy what I had to go through to find the resources that I did when mm. I was first diagnosed. Mm. And that's, that's unfortunate because it's like, so-and-so tells him and she tells her and like, that's kind of how you find things, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad you did, though. I'm glad you did. because Me too. I, I, know <laughs> I ended you. up in the right places with the right people. You know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So before we close up, do you have any other thoughts, any closing thoughts you want to give to the peeps? I mean, just just be strong, be resilient. You know, that, that's all you can do when you're handed, uh, you know, handed lemons try to make that lemonade you know make the lemonade absolutely pam again thank you so much for being on the podcast guys hit pam up pam do you want people to find you on social are you <laughs> like are you a hermit what's going on yeah no cool i am uh oh god <laughs> put, I, I put her on the spot guys Uh-oh. um <laughs> but okay hold on i'm digging it now it's absolutely pam cakes and honey that's my Instagram. That's so cute. <laughs> um, but just so you know, guys, I'm also going to put it down in the um, show notes. Um, but I at least wanted her to ver- verbally say it as well, because not everyone reads the show notes. So um, Pam, it has been amazing. Um, again, thank you for writing. And, and for those of you, if, if I didn't mention it at the top of the episode, um, all of these writings that all of our young adult um, fellow survivors, thrivers, patients, wrote are all going to be on the blog. Uh, the website is thisexceptionaljourney.com. Um, every day this week, we've been rolling out stories. Um, every day this week, we've been rolling out podcast episodes, everyone just telling their story, uh, because that's what Young Adult Cancer Awareness Week is about. We're making everyone aware that we're here. Um, all of our stories are different. All of us look different. We come from different walks of life, um, but we're here. We're here to tell it. We're here to talk about it, right? So Pam, thank you again so much, girl. This was amazing. Um, Other than that, guys, please hit me up. Um, You know, I gave socials earlier. Let's definitely connect. Let's definitely keep this conversation going. 
And as always, I'll check you next time. But until then, continue to walk the survivor's side of life. Peace.